The following is a presentation of Gallery Church Downtown, part of a family of neighborhood churches seeking to display God's greatness to the world. For more information, please visit gcbdowntown.com. like an exciting time together the rest of our, our morning. We're going to be baptizing um, one of our sweet little girls here in just a little bit, as well as um, just really walking through what I feel like is a very exciting passage of scripture and very timely passage of scripture for all that we're facing. But let me go ahead and uh, for those of you that are new, my name is Ellis. I'm one of the pastors here and um, just want to welcome you. And hopefully on the way in, you receive one of our ministry guides, uh, the top half really shares a lot of information, or a little bit of information for those of you that are guests, and then the middle section has some announcements that I feel like we all can benefit from, especially those of you that are new or have been around for a while but have not participated in one of our essentials class. We'd love for you to let us know that you're interested in that. We're trying, we missed the date in July, um, but we're going to be rescheduling that, and we'd love to have a group of you to be able to gather up um, so we can talk through what we really do feel like is our church's calling in the city, what we believe and what we value as a church, and how we're kind of set up leadership-wise and what we use our resources for. And so the Essentials class really is like a 101, like how do you get to know the gallery church um, and all of that. So we really want as many of you to participate. Some of you have been around a while, have gone, come a few times, and it's actually a little bit excited about that because the more that you know, the more that it bleeds out of you, I feel like, the more that we can just kind of gain some momentum and excitement about what God's doing in and through our church family. But we're also at a phase where there's so many new people, and you're most likely sitting next to somebody that has um, really not been a part of our church family, but for maybe maybe a year or two, and a lot of you are less than a year, and one of you got lucky enough to sit next to somebody that started attending our church in 2009, which is very uncommon. Um, you actually get a gold star if you find somebody that's been around that long, because there's such a transient life to our church family. But this is the part that I need us to understand, and we're going to need to get into it a little bit more in the month of September. But um, there are a lot of ways to serve. We need people to serve. We lost a ton of key volunteers this summer due to people moving and relocating. And a lot of you are like, well, I would serve if I was asked. I am now officially extending that invitation. If you need it more personal than this, like, man, I'm just waiting for Ellis to ask me. Eye contact right now. This needs to feel very personal. We need you. If you can pass a background check, we need you to work with our children, right? If we can um, continue to serve or to show up early or you just have, you don't even know what you want to do. You just want to help us. We've got so many places from things in the community to things in our small group life to things that help us do Sunday mornings well. Um, and we would love for you to join us in doing that. And so if that is something you would like to do, the bottom part of our information card, oops, actually is perforated and it should tear easier than that. Um, but uh, you can let us know, hey, I would love to serve. Um, I'd love to use my talents and, and do that as well as sign up for the essentials class and drop that in the offering boxes. So I, that's also a great time for me to remind you, we do collect an offering here at church. Um, but we fairly ever mention it. I don't know why that is, but um, we very seldom say, hey, we're going to take up our offering now. 
but we've kind of made it a part of our active worship experience. And so if you've came prepared today to give, we want you to do it with great joy. We want you to feel like you're giving towards the kingdom of God and not just towards this church. And so if you have questions, we always want you to be able to ask. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about some things coming up in our, in our teaching, but we also have a trip to Guatemala coming up in January, and we'd love for you to participate in that with us. God's really opened up a, a great opportunity for us to invest in a village where we can not only carry the good news of Jesus Christ, but we're partnering in education and employment in ways that we can strengthen them towards um, just, a, just like where they feel like that God has seen them and he loves them and he wants them to continue to move forward. So, all right, that's enough with the announcements. I do want to take a moment to thank you guys. Um, your cards and your prayers have been a blessing. Um, and the chocolate. Um, <laughs> so, um, some of you know um, uh, part of our family love language is chocolate, and, and that has been a joy to receive that. But you can stop that part now. <laughs> um, need to keep that under control. Um, but, uh, you know, your prayers through the loss of my father-in-law, my wife's dad, and just all that we had, um, it wasn't just the loss of a close relative. This was a patriarch. This was an encourager. This was really the one that all of us, my, my little brother said it best at the, at the um, funeral, at the celebration of his life, dad was our Google. Most people Google what they're looking for. For most of us in the family, we call dad. Um, and so I feel like the, that a, a major part of where I searched for truth, a major part where I searched for wisdom has now left. Um, but I also know there's a lot of truth associated with that. But we've been trying to recover, get our legs back under us, so to speak. And so in some ways we're behind in things like our small group life of our church and, and areas of leadership development. And I really appreciate your love and your patience for the ways that we've been able to kind of recover and get ourselves moving forward. But we do need your prayers. And I've had several of you ask me, because I announced last week prayers because we had to take our son to the emergency room last Saturday night and, uh, and uh, because of abdominal pain. But he's actually here today, and he's fine, and he's eating like a horse. So we're, we know he's doing really well in that regard. Um, but I do appreciate your prayers um, as we've uh, just really faced a lot of different kinds of challenges um, as a family. So I share all that with you just to say thank you and to keep you updated. And, um, and before we... Uh, I think we have a scripture to read. Is that you, Lee? Come on up. Read, read um, for us, I think, Acts chapter 11. My name is Lee, for those of you that I haven't met before. Um, our scripture reading today is from Acts 11, verses 1 to 8. Sorry, 18. My bad. The apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. Starting from the beginning, Peter told them the whole story. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. I saw something like a large sheet being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to where I was. I looked into it and saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, reptiles, and birds. Then I heard a voice telling me, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. I replied, surely not, Lord. Nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. The voice spoke from heaven a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and then it was pulled, all pulled up to heaven again. Right then, three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea stopped at the house where, where I was staying. 
The Spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them. These six brothers also went with me, and we entered the man's house. He told us how he had seen an angel appear in his house and say, Send to Joba for Simon, who is called Peter. He will bring you a message through which you and all your household will be saved. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us at the beginning. Then I remembered what the Lord had said. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? When they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, So then, even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. May God bless the reading of his word. Amen. Amen. Uh, talk of circumcision and all that is just really exciting passages and words for us to, to use as a way of moving forward, isn't it? It's, uh, these, these, these verses in these chapters sometimes just seem so irrelevant to where we are. It's like, this is such an old conversation. It's a conversation that we don't necessarily have when we're having um, um, conversations at Starbucks with our friends over a cup of coffee. We're not debating circumcision anymore in our church families. Um, and thank the Lord. But we are also debating, debating a lot of other things, though, are we not? Um, I've actually titled this teaching Controversy. Um, and I think it's really important for us to even just write the word down or put it in your phone. Because if there is one thing that is still the same between the first century Christians and the Christians in our world today is that we are struggling for unity. We are struggling to stay on the same page. There are so many issues that come up to cause division. If you have ever done a search of denominations in the United States of America... There are over 140 divisions in the Baptist church. Like how many ways can you divide a Baptist in their theology? Apparently over 140 denominations out of one stream of, of biblical interpretation. That doesn't sound like one stream anymore. It sounds like a lot of confusion. There's 19 Presbyterian denominations now. I mean, you would think that the Presbyterians being a little bit more controlled, a little bit more subdued, a little bit less antagonistic... Some of you came out of the Presbyterian church like, what church are you talking about, right? But there's so many divisions, we can't stay on the same page together. And so now, somewhere in the year 40 or 50 AD, Luke is now writing about early believers in Jesus Christ. And Peter is the story, and Peter is now stepping into a group of people that were wanting to confront him about what he was teaching, and about the type of life a Christian is supposed to live. And so in this, I want us to understand at the very beginning, these were not unbelieving people. These were people that believed in Jesus, but yet thought that in order for people to follow Jesus, they had to convert to Judaism first, and then follow Jesus. So Peter's not being confronted by people that had no faith in Christ. These were not unbelievers. These were not people that we would call pagan or people that we would expect to be antagonistic. They were the people that would gather around you when you said something in church around the coffee pot and get around you and be like, you know, Ellis, you said this about circumcision. And I'd be like, I haven't talked about circumcision in eight years. You know, right? So, but they would, they would confront you on that. And so let me, let me start by just letting you guys know that this is an in-church conversation. 
This would be like somebody in here today having a problem with somebody else in the room over a point of theology, which is very likely, just look around the room, look how diverse we are. You've grown up in different parts of the country and the world. You've had different people like myself teach you about the Bible. You've done your own search about the Bible and your own search about Christianity, and you've listened to your own audiobooks and your own podcasts, and you've done all these other things. And so some of us get really passionate about certain things, and then other of us are getting really passionate about other things, and then we get together, and then our passions bump into one another. And therefore, some of us believe and think and act differently. And so I just want to encourage us today to not get distracted by Peter's conversation over circumcision and types of food that they eat. We need to say, what is the controversies of our day? And we are going to get into those controversies in the month of September. We've decided to shift our teaching. And some of you are aware of this because you were here last week. But we had a series this month that we were wanting to do called Harmony. And in that series, we were going to talk about the difficulty of maintaining unity in the word harmony in several key areas that have really been bombarding my office. Like many of you have been asking me a lot of questions, and a lot of them are bent around sexuality. It's like, what does the Bible actually say? It's almost like going back to my youth pastoring days when teenage boys would come into my office and be like, all right, so how far is too far? I'm like, okay, how much, how much like, Coke did you drink before you came in here just to ask me that question, right? But I'm beginning to find out that even amongst adults in our church, we have a ton of questions about sex and sexuality. And we are going to look at Scripture and try to figure out, well, what did Jesus have to say about it? And then what does the Scriptures have to say about it? And so we're going to take a couple of weeks in September because it's going to be too long of a teaching to do on one Sunday. And we're going to ask, what does it really look like to follow Jesus in our areas of sexuality? And then we're also going to look at some other issues that have been very popular, especially in our day and time, because one of the reasons why there's a lot of different denominations has been about how the church has treated women. And so we're going to take a Sunday and we're going to look at what does it really look like in Scripture for us to be men and women? And then how do we then honor Jesus with the gender that we had no control over. And then we were just given this life. And so now we're trying to be good stewards of it, and we're trying to make sense of it in Jesus Christ. And so we're going to be looking at what I would feel like would be a lot of the controversies that really do face the church today, and we're going to try to walk out of here every Sunday at the foot of the cross, thankful for an empty tomb, saying we're following after Jesus wherever he takes us. And so there's a lot that has to happen. And so let me start with sharing you an illustration because I feel like I've experienced this chapter. Acts 11, in a few, in a few, in a few different occasions in the last 10 years, has shown itself to me. Well, I feel like I, in this case, I would be almost like a Peter-type character. And one of the issues that happened this, about two years ago was it had become public knowledge that we as a church... Um, really felt like that women could fulfill the role of an elder in a church and that she could actually carry the title and women could teach and women could do things. Well, there were denominations that supported us that would be in-house Christians that literally, whether by phone or showing up in my office, were not happy with us. 
And as a church, and many of you are aware that you've been around for a while, you know that with the work that we're doing in the city, we still raise money from outside organizations and people and churches to support the works that we're trying to do in West Baltimore and around Highland Town, Patterson Park, and continuing to give us the opportunity to minister to people that otherwise, in our current capacities, wouldn't be able to. And so one of these denominations actually was funding us and immediately cut off the funding because we decided that we felt like that the Holy Spirit was confirming in us that women had a chance to share a title. And on the phone with the group of men, actually it was a group of men, um, which is very interesting to be on the phone with a group of men talking about women. I felt like I was in middle school again, right? And so um, we, in the midst of that, I had one of the men say this to me, and it broke my heart. He said to me, let me tell you how we get around it in our church. And so here's how controversies play out. We would rather figure out a way of dealing with an issue without dealing with it, rather than deal with it. It's, and, and so so often what people will do is... They will either be so heavy-handed that it's my way or the highway, or they'll be so soft-handed that anything goes, or they'll lack integrity. And there are a lot of people right now that step into the lack-integrity space, where we'll, we'll do something, but then we'll, our words and our actions don't line up. And so as a pastor, and I'm sure many of you, and I could even ask you the question, where have you been ambushed or attacked by a group of people for something that you believe and that you've talked about? Some of you might just be the fact that you go to church and you believe in Jesus and your friends rally around you like, okay, I don't mind you believing in Jesus, but don't call yourself a Christian, right? And so there's a lot of different pressures on us today. And so I think we can learn a lot from Peter here. And this is the thing that I want us to understand, and I've put it on a slide for us. If you and I are going to stand up for truth, if you and I are going to actually at some point put our feet on something solid and say, this is what I know to be true, you will be challenged by people that do claim to follow Jesus. It will happen to all of us. The reason why it's not happening to you, people might not know what you believe. Okay, so as soon as you start talking about what you believe, you will be pressed. People will lean into you, will start to challenge you. And so this is one of the things that I begin to understand is that not every good idea is from God. Right. Just like not every idea is from God. There are some of you in here that are like, I've got a good idea. We need to go do this. And God's like, I don't want you to do that. And you're like, no, this is great. And so some level, we've got to have a discernment process. We've got to know. Some of you are like, man, I've read this verse in the Bible, so I'm changing everything about my life based upon this one verse, realizing, not realizing that our interpretation of that verse is out of harmony with the rest of Scripture. That's where a lot of cults come into play, and people can drink Kool-Aid in Jesus' name and do a lot of other crazy things that have happened in world history because people can say this is true, and people are like, okay, it's true, and then they're led astray. And so here's the thing. There needs to be a consistent need amongst us as Christians to be anchored in prayer, humility, and deep attention to the Word of God. And I put this in parentheses, and particularly, as we'll see in this passage, the words of Jesus. Because of Jesus, that's where we start. You don't start with Genesis chapter 1 
You don't go to Revelations first. The first place that we go when we don't know what to do is whom? All right, that wasn't very confident. Who do we go to first? Jesus. Not your friend, not your spouse, not Google. You know, you go to Jesus. What did Jesus have to say? What did Jesus model? How did Jesus live? What was the example? Because according to the scriptures, the best picture that anybody in human life has ever gotten of God is Jesus. He was God with us, God taking on flesh and dwelling amongst us. He was in the throne room of heaven, humbly gave that all up, Philippians chapter 2, and stepped into this world to show us what a life anchored in prayer and humility and sacrifice really looked like. And so for us, we need to make sure that we're anchored in prayer, in humility, and in deep attention to God's word. And so I think this is what Peter's doing here. In the controversy of his day, which was, oh, in order to follow Jesus, you must convert to Judaism. For us, controversies of our day and how we begin to embrace them, we need to begin to say, how do we pray through this? What does humility for me and my confidence look like? And what does deep attention to God's word look like? So Peter in this passage, let me just talk through this just for a moment. Peter is replying to them, telling the story of Acts chapter 10 that Emily taught us a few weeks ago. So this is a repeat of a story in the book of Acts. I'm going to talk about this in just a minute. And so he's, he's showing them how the Holy Spirit had left him with no alternative. This is what Peter's saying. The Holy Spirit made it so clear to me, I had no other alternative. I had to do this. I had to step into this. And so what we find here is that Peter is saying the Holy Spirit was doing this. I had to go be in Cornelius' house, which according to a Jew was unclean. I had to accept his hospitality, which was breaking the law to many Jews. In particular, I had to baptize him and his whole household. So he's immediately sharing that story of why he had to go do it because the Holy Spirit had made it so clear to him. But this was a group that did not want this in, in, in his life. It did not want him to set this up because, according to the Jews, there were a bunch of taboos around food and circumcised people that we needed to step into or that they didn't want them to step into. So here, here's, here's another thought about this passage. The major concern was that these Gentiles had been admitted as full members And I think it's really important for us to understand this. A lot of us don't mind people being included as long as I'm still more special. Okay? And it's still in the Christian church today. We're okay with people coming into the room and worshiping God with us as long as I still feel like I am more valued than them. And if you ever have a thought about somebody else, and the, the, the way you describe it is those people or them people were not in step with Christ because we are one in Jesus Christ. And so it is we, it is us, it's not them and those. Because if we're claiming the same Jesus, that means we get the same dad, which makes us brothers and sisters, and we're not them and those people at that point. 
we are included in Christ. And so these Gentiles had us, or these Gentiles were being admitted as full members into the new and rapidly growing Jesus family. And they were being told they didn't have to become Jews in the process. So this was upsetting a small group of people in this particular day and time. So let me come back. This is a repeat. Luke does this twice that, we, that I was able to find in the book of Acts. where Because Luke, in his writing style, remember, he's writing to a friend about what's happening most likely in the years 40 to 50 to 60 A.D. So Jesus has ascended. The church is now moving. He's wanting to give this man a very thorough account of what was going on because of Christ in the world. And so he is rapidly going from experience to experience to experience, from story the story to story and then you get to acts 10 and 11 and it's repeat repeat and so there's one other character in the book of acts that's repeated on three occasions and it's paul's conversion story so the story of cornelius and peter is told twice paul's conversion is told three times so let me just pause here because we're going to get into the stories of paul in chapters to come as we get into Acts 15 and 21 and all this kind of stuff. But here's the reason why I think he's doing it and why it's significant. Because I believe Luke was aware that people were seeing things in the church and their bent was going to be, I need to feel special. And so they were going to constantly have groups of people that were going to be like, Oh, if you're going to follow Jesus, you need to do this, this, and 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 you need to convert to Judaism. It was going to be a temptation. And if we look at the book of Acts, we know that this group doesn't go away after this encounter with Peter, even though it seems like at verse 18 is a victory. It comes back in Acts 15. It comes back in Acts 21. It comes back in Galatians chapter 2 where there's this group of people that are like, no, 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 if you follow Jesus, you must be a Jew. You must do all the conversion rituals in order for that to happen. And so I believe Luke knew the pressures of what it was going to be like for Jews to, be, um, to allow Gentiles to be included, and he is intentionally writing repeat stories because he knew that the Jews in Jerusalem that were reading this letter were going to need to have it drilled into their head because the temptation was going to be to not include them or to not give them full membership status. I also believe that both of these stories that Luke is writing is in defense of both Peter and Paul. I believe Luke, is in this passage, is saying trustworthy, trustworthy. And what they're saying is different but trustworthy. So I am going to repeat it to you because it's trustworthy. Trust what you heard Peter say to you about cleanliness and uncleanliness. Trust what Peter said to you about what happens in Jesus Christ. Trust what happened to Paul. Let me tell you about his conversion experience three times so that you can develop trust in the fact that the Holy Spirit is working in Paul to share a gospel of inclusion of Gentiles into the church. And so he is repeatedly, and I believe he's aware that this letter was ultimately going to land in the hands of not just Jews, but a lot of Roman citizens. What was brewing in Jerusalem and in all of Israel between the years 40, 50, and 60 AD? Do you guys know what was happening in and around Jerusalem? What was that? 
Yeah, Rome, occupi- Rome was being occupied, and there was a growing tension between the Jews and the Romans. And there was a growing tension. So if you had a, Je- a Roman in your home believing in Jesus, and people are looking at you having dinner and loving and worshiping with a Roman... What do you think people would be thinking? You're conspiring with the enemy. You have all these things that are happening in their city, and if we're not careful, we'll read a passage like this and forget about the greatest destruction in Jewish history and the greatest war that they ever lost, which is when Jerusalem was totally destroyed in the year 80, excuse me, year 70, and we'll get totally missed out on the fact that the reason why these Judaizers that we call them, these people that believed in you must be a Jew first, was because there was great political and social tension happening in and around all that was going on in their city and in their region. And so Luke is writing this repeatedly in here because the people, both Jew, both Jew and Roman, needed to have something in their hand that pointed them to Jesus Christ and the powerful work of the Holy Spirit in them. So I believe that this is all in here so that Luke can say, Gentiles have total admission into God's family. It is the central theme that begins to happen in the book of Acts, and it begins to run through the early letters that Paul wrote. So let me, let me share three things, though, that are different in Peter's response in Acts 11 that are different than Acts 10, and then I'm going to land this conversation and talk about how we can apply this to the controversies that we face today. So there's three things that he does here in Acts 11 that are a little bit different in the telling, and the first is this. Peter's report of what Cornelius had said to him now includes a new element. In Acts 10, he didn't say it quite this way. He says it this way. He says that the angel had said to Cornelius that Peter's message would result in him and his household being saved. And so there's an emphasis in Acts 11 that's a little bit different than in Acts 10, that, that in Acts 10 it kind of felt like as if the family had already been saved prior to Peter's visit. And so there are a lot of people that have gone into Acts 10 without looking at Acts 11 and walk around thinking, well, everybody's saved. They just don't know it. And so here, I believe Luke is making a very pointed response and telling the story. And Peter's actually sharing this in a powerful way that Cornelius was not saved already. He needed to hear the message and believe in the salvation that, that he had access to, but yet he had not already possessed. And then in second, the second thing that's a little bit different this morning, this, in this passage in Acts 10, is Peter tells the Jerusalem critics that the Holy Spirit fell on the assembled company as I began to speak. So that's new to the story. So why is that significant? I believe it is because in Acts 10, 34 through 43, it's quite brief, and yet there's a lot of information that's going out at first glance. But Peter is clearly wanting to emphasize the sovereignty and the surprising activity of the Holy Spirit amongst Gentile people is that we have got to understand that God can move in the hearts of anybody. 
that the Holy Spirit does not look at skin color or education or economic status. The Holy Spirit sees the image of God in us that we were created with. The Holy Spirit looks at us and he sees something that was fearfully and wonderfully made. And he realizes what Jesus did for us and the Holy Spirit is coming and doing powerful things amongst all people. And the third thing that's a little bit different versus Acts 10 is Peter now tells them, which, which we hadn't heard in Acts 10, that he remembered the words of Jesus. I think it's really important. If there's anything that you walk out of here hearing me say today is I want you to walk out of here hearing Peter say it and hearing me tell us we've got to say it. I need to remember the words of Jesus. We have to not let that pass over us today and not be significant because at some point in time, we're in the middle of a conversation. We're in the middle of tension. We're in the middle of confusion. We're in the middle of the bad things that life brings us or the joys that some of you are the worst in your faith when good things are happening to you because you can drown your joys and you can just throw yourself into indulgences. But it's when things go badly, you're like, whoa, wait a minute. All right, I got I to gotta regroup, right? So whether it's joys or sorrows, it's Jesus. We've got to say, what does Jesus say about this? And so Peter is now saying, oh, I remember what Jesus said. Now, he didn't most likely say, I remember what Jesus said in Acts 1. That's for us in our day and time. But what he's referencing is what Jesus said before he ascended. And then he goes on to tell them that back at those last moments before the ascension, telling that the baptism of the Spirit would shortly come upon them and in parallel with the baptism of John at the beginning. And so he's beginning to help them to understand that the Spirit coming and the water baptism that John was talking about, which was a baptism of repentance, and then this baptism of power and wisdom and revelation that comes into our life, was going to be something that was for everyone. And so Peter is now going back saying, you know what, it might seem like this was an original idea with me, but no, Jesus said it before he left. And there were a group of us, maybe 50 to 100 of us that heard it. And now we're all telling you, let me tell you what Jesus said. And so Peter is doing three powerful things here in this telling. And so for what reason, why would he do this now? Why is this happening for them? And again, I believe it's because Jerusalem was headed towards 70 AD. there were people that thought that the only way to rid themselves of the oppression was violence. And it didn't work. The only way for me to excel in my faith is for some people to be excluded. That doesn't work. Jesus is either for everyone or he's for no one, right? Right? And so this early church was struggling through the realization of all of this. And so if we want to understand and learn from the book of Acts, we've got to figure out a way to put ourselves in their shoes. Well, their sandals. Right. Um, so that we can begin to understand what it would have been like to worship Jesus under the pressures of their day. And I put this on a slide for you, and I want to read it for you. Um, I believe it's the last one that I had. Um, but how many of our own theological debates, and we could just pause it for a minute, and some of you might already have a list that's coming to mind, 
thinking about things with gender, thinking about things with sexuality, thinking about things with politics and poverty and all this kind of stuff that are happening in our culture today. But how many of our own theological debates are more conditioned than we realize by the swirling currents of the political, social, and cultural pressures? Now, you notice that there's three things that aren't on this slide. Prayer, humility, and seeking the word of God through Christ. So many of us are making all the decisions, and we get all riled up, and we write what we want on Facebook and other social media platforms, and our words are coming out of the political, social, and cultural pressures of our day, rather than coming from us saying, I spent time with the Lord and the Holy Spirit led me to this. We've got to be really careful because we are going to feel some real tension in September if you are still attending this church in September. Because there are things that are happening in our culture today that are destroying the relationships between us in the church because some of us just want things to be true. But we have no grounds of anything God's ever said, anything Jesus ever alluded to, um, or anything that we've even spent any time praying about. There are a lot of people that come into my office and they are fuming about something. And the easiest way for me to calm them down is to say, have you prayed about it? And they're just like, uh, do I lie to the pastor? <laughs> um, I can see it like on their face. like They're deciding whether or not this is a white lie or a big lie. Right? Am I going to lose rewards in heaven because of my answer or am I going to get rewards in heaven because of my answer? But the real issue is, is that we don't pray. We're not asking the Lord for wisdom on issues. We'll ask Google, we'll read Twitter news, we'll ask news networks, we'll ask all these other people what I should believe, what should I think is true, what should I think is honest and right, and what is honoring to God with my body, my life, and all this kind of thing. We'll ask everybody but God. And this is the thing that I'm going to touch on when we get into September. We don't ask God because we really know what he's going to say. We don't ask him because we don't want it to be true. Because we're still fighting against the nature inside of us that wants to wage war against a new kingdom and a new way. And so we've got to be really careful that we're not allowing our political and social culture to dictate to us what a, what a follower of Jesus looks like. And so the, the question isn't, well, is it Christian and permissible? The question is, is this helping me look more like Jesus? And so hopefully we can experience that more and more together. I think it's really um, a great acknowledge, or a great picture for us to come to the baptism tank in light of this teaching. And that it's also a child. Because I believe that many of us in this room have gotten too old for our faith. We're not as trusting we don't say to our Father in heaven, I'm going to try the seventh step today, God. I'm jumping, right? We're, we're, down, we're down to the safe stuff again. Like, yeah, I'll, t- I'll test God this week. <laughs> yeah, God, God caught me, right? But you ever seen a child that trusts the parent and they're going up to the seventh or eighth step in the stairwell and they just jump and they, even if you drop them, they'll do it again. <laughs> That's why... My son walks to the right. <laughs> um, you, uh, 
we have, we have a God that wants us to approach him like a child trusts an adult. The words are true. You're leading me. You're guiding me. You're showing me. You know, the, we use water baptism, again, because so many people in the New Testament were baptized through water. So many people in the Old Testament went through water to new life. And so it's a great symbol of that. But when Jesus was telling his disciples, this word baptism that we translate really is not just about the water. It's about life. It is about us saying, I want to be immersed into the family of God. I want, not, I want this to be a physical symbol of me being fully placed into it. Now, this has been part of the challenge, and I've talked to several of you that live and have lived locally for a long time. It is really hard to feel immersed into a family when the congregation changes every year or two. There's so much transientness in the city of Baltimore. It's so difficult to feel the intimate family connection because we're constantly getting to know each other and losing those relationships just like that. And so it's tough. But I just want to say to us as a church, Jesus has a different culture. And whether we're here for a year or 10 years, we must taste the family of God. We must immerse ourselves in it for all it's worth, which means there are going to be days that we're crying out of joy and days that we're crying out of sorrow because we don't want to say goodbye. But yet, this is a symbol of us saying, I am all in to what God has done doing in my life and, and in the lives of others around us. I want the Lord to complete the work that he started in us. That's what we're saying. And so today we're going to be baptizing and I'm going to ask Brandon and Emily to come up and I think they're going to actually interview their little girl. You're going to go get her? Oh, sorry. We missed our cue. So what does a pastor do for 60 seconds? Let me tell you what's going to happen after we do the baptism. All right. Um, and our worship team is also going to come and get set now as well. Um, but let me tell you, we always come to the Lord's table right now through this season of life in our church family. Because not only is baptism a great symbol, but the Lord's table is the symbol of what God did for us. But not only what he did with his body broken and his blood poured out, it is also a symbol of how you and I ought to live. It's, it's what we're to be doing. We're to be living as broken and poured out people for other people. And that is costly. That hurts. You feel it. You actually do feel like the blood is coming out of you. But that's what we're called to. And so today, as we come to the table, and we open this table up to all of you, even if you're not a part of our church family, and you're a part of a church family somewhere else, but the only thing we're saying is, is this is a symbol of Jesus, so this is a symbol of those of us that believe in Jesus. If you don't believe in Jesus, this is meaningless. Um, and so if we come to this table and we grab the bread and there's instructions on the table, but we ask that we all say it, we all want to be, we want it to be said. We need to speak it. We need to learn to get comfortable letting Jesus roll off of our lips to other people. And so the Lord's table is a place for us to come and say, look, this is his body that was broken for you. This is his blood that was poured out for you. And so everyone that comes to the table, whether you're introvert or extrovert, we need to say these words. And you can do it one at a time. You can do it as a group. But we just want you to come to the table and remind one another. And then we end with this victorious hope at the table that Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ is coming again. And one of these days, everybody is going to have a knee bent 
And we're going to be following after the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And until then, we celebrate what he's done. And so let me pray, and then I'm going to invite Brandon up to introduce his little girl. So Lord, we thank you for this opportunity today to talk about baptism, to talk about controversies, and how we keep our faith and our hope in you. And so Lord, right now, I pray that you would um, allow your spirit to speak clearly to us. Lord, let the conviction of your spirit fall in us. Lord, because there are many in this room that need to be baptized. There's many in this room that need to state that they believe in you. And Lord, I pray now that Evelyn's testimony would be um, uh, a tool that you use, that is a mouthpiece from a child as a way of communicating hope um, to others, Lord. And so, Father, we thank you. And we, as we come to the table, Lord, we thank you for the body that was broken and the blood that was poured out for us. And we, we, we do this in remembrance of you. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, Brandon, come on up. Introduce your family. This is Evelyn. I met Evelyn about eight years ago. Because <laughs> <laughs> she's my daughter. And so she approached my wife and I about being baptized, and we thought, you know, maybe we'll wait a little bit. I think over time we recognized that um, although she's a little girl, she has a very big faith. So we wanted to recognize that. And it's a very beautiful faith that we hope will grow. And so, Evelyn, do you, do you believe in Jesus? I do. That's great. And do you, do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? I do. And that he died for your sins? I do. Yeah. yeah. And do you promise to keep his commands? I do. Yeah. And what are those commands? Love your Lord with your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Amen. And do we promise to help her to keep those commands? Amen, yes. Amen. And I know we'll be here only a short time, but, you know, we'll come back on occasion. And and also there's there's prayer, so you can support us in prayer. 